was just fun winning for sure. Um, you know, it's pretty uh, you know exceptional once you look at the history of the Avs, and you know they've had some pretty good teams. So of course we're you know we're we're humbled by that. But you know that being said, I think uh, you know it's not really too many complacent guys in the dressing room. I I, I feel like everyone feels that you know, we could still be a little bit better. So, uh, you know, we're finding our game. Obviously, uh, momentum's a, a huge key, and, you know, we're going to look to continue that. Hey, what's up, guys? Thanks for joining us here on Hockey Mountain High, your go-to avalanche podcast presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, and Total Beverage in Thornton and Westminster. I'm your host, JJ Jerez, of course, Arif with me, Patrick Stedman on the controls, here to break down the historic month that was for the Colorado Avalanche, going 15-0-1 in January, of course hitting a, a franchise record of home wins consecutively, right now they're at 18 straight at Ball Arena, that dates back way to what, November, December, but uh, yeah, Arif, let's get into it, nothing but awesome hockey coming out, I mean, it's kind of weird, this isn't a situation we've been in, right, it's kind of getting a little bit tedious recording a podcast and being a critic and an analyst of this team when they're just winning and winning and winning and doing it in very similar fashions. It's like, all right, well, just getting a little monotonous at this point. Their winning streak at Ball Arena started on November 11th. They haven't lost a game at Ball Arena since November 4th against Columbus. That was a long, long, long time ago. Uh, it's really crazy to kind of, you know, I, I, I dipped into this a little bit last time we recorded it's really crazy to really think just how historic and how crazy it is what the avalanche are doing right now i just said the word crazy like four times i was but, just gonna say it's yeah. really crazy to think, really how, crazy really crazy to think how really crazy this is just so crazy but nazem kadri kind of hit on it right now you know he 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 put it in there i mean obviously he said the team's not complacent they want to go out they want to do better they want to improve everybody's going to say that you're not going to win 10 straight games and be like yeah we're fucking great put us in the playoffs we'll win today like you're not going to do that but what he said in the beginning for a guy that's only been here for 3 years he said given the histor the history of this team the historic rosters they've had you know i'm paraphrasing to see what we're doing right now is humbling it's 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 exceptional to really sit back and like take it in like they just played a month where there were 32 points up for grabs and they got 31 of them. Like, that's insanity. They just played a month where there were 16 games and they won 15 and the one they lost was in overtime and we all know how it happened. Like, when have we ever seen this team do anything like that? Like, we need to, on January 31st or February 1st, when you're listening to this, we need to sit back and just appreciate what is happening right now. It all gets flushed down the drain if you lose 4 nothing in the first round kind of like Tampa Bay in 2019. But right now, in this moment, as much as Nathan McKinnon wants to say, we haven't won shit, in this very moment, you got to appreciate what this team is doing. January was exceptional in every single way. I think the most, I, the biggest contribution to this insanity, there's two for me, right? One of them is exactly what you're saying, January. We went into this month expecting this to be hard, expecting this to be the hardest portion of the year that the Avalanche has faced, the first time they've seen a schedule this rigorous. And then I think what you really want to look at is January is kind of right when they got healthy, right? And this is what a healthy team was able to do. We saw them kind of stutter step their way through the beginning of the season. And, you know, I'm sitting here being negative. Arif, you're sitting there saying there's still a lot of guys missing. They still got pieces to add to this lineup. And then finally they get those pieces and boy, are they rolling. Of course, there's still a couple guys you wish were in the lineup. Bowen, Byram, Helm, right? And maybe Ryan even a, Murray. You know, a, 
a defenseman here or there. Um, you know, depending who who you like, Ryan Murray is a good option. But uh, yeah, I, I think those two factors—the rigorous schedule combined with the the team getting back—I mean, I just think that's the the most insane part. The insane part of the schedule is that it was supposed to be hard. The insane part of the lineup being there is just how good this lineup is when fully healthy. Well, if you've been listening to this podcast that JJ and I have been doing for a couple of years, this is literally how 2021 started. The Avalanche were slow out of the gate for that shortened season. Uh, they were up and down, players in and out, players like Brandon Saad getting used to their new roles. It was kind of all over the place. You didn't really know what the hell was going on. Pavel Francouz got injured second game of the season as a backup goalie, didn't even get to start a single game. Suddenly you're trying to figure out who your backup is. It was, you know, Hunter Miska. Do we start Gruby every night? And all these things just kind of were happening. And then they had their first COVID pause and then they came out of it and they played literally every other night, if not two in a row. And they just started putting off win after win. And then they went out and traded for Devin Duvnik, and then they went out and got another COVID pause. And then they came out of that second COVID pause and won their last 11, I believe, regular season games going into the playoffs or something crazy like that in order to win the President's Trophy and obviously beat Vegas along the way and take the top seed. So it was very similar. What I'm realizing from this team, it's what Grubauer said last year when he was starting. It's what the Avalanche are saying this year. And I don't want to use Kemper as an example because he's splitting duties right now. They want to get into a rhythm. They want to play every other night. But we saw these last 10 days of January, starting with that trip in California, the LA and Anaheim games, that they were starting to get exhausted. You saw it. Jared Bednar said it. He said, this is a fatigued team right now. We're playing tired. We're exhausted. We're making mistakes. And the funny thing is, like, just like Landis Gog against Montreal, you're coming out and saying these comments and you're like, oh, bummer. The Avalanche must have lost. And you check the score sheet. They won. And they just kept winning, but they were exhausted game by game. And then they asked Jared yesterday, hey, given the way you guys are playing, did you want the schedule to just keep going? You know, you guys aren't losing. Uh, what's the gentleman's name that asked the question? The guy that you made fun of me for forgetting? Sandy. That a, uh, no, that wasn't Sandy Clough. You're oh thinking my God. of Sandy Clough. But that was D-Mac, another radio Unreal. legend. I mean, he's kind of hit or miss on on his popularity, but I like him because I grew up. He used to actually do heavy metal radio station in the morning, right? Willie B. Stout and D-Mac on the KVPI locker room. And I grew up listening to them, so that's why I have a little soft spot in my heart for D-Mac, but D-Mac, the sports guy, I'm, I'm not the biggest fan of. Yeah, so D-Mac, the sports guy, yesterday asked Jared, you know, given the way that you guys are playing, do you want the schedule to calm down going to this All-Star game? Would you rather keep playing? Like, you're winning every day. And Jared said, no, 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 no. We need a break. We are tired. We're fatigued. We're exhausted. And I think the most important thing is throughout this entire stretch, Pavel Francouz was healthy and they had two goalies to play because that was huge. But given all of this, going back to JJ's original point, what you mentioned earlier, the fact that they came out of this month with this kind of a record is mind-blowing. It's crazy. Let's go back to that word. It's just a crazy thing to see that the Avalanche went 15-0-1, playing 16 games between January 2nd and January 30th. Our last Sunday podcast, so you know, our last, I guess, seven days ago, I was on that podcast analyzing the upcoming three games, right? We had Chicago, Boston, Chicago, and I said... This team is tired. They've been playing well. They deserve a little bit of slack with these next three games. Hey, if they lose one, not the biggest deal in the world. Well, the Avalanche took that slack and said, you can take this slack and shove it up right up your butt because we don't need any slack. We're going to continue battling. We're going to continue fighting. We're going to continue to get better. And any little thing that isn't up to par, we're going to work to fix it. And we're going to not be 
I guess, complacent, right? To bring that word back to the podcast. So, um, yeah, I guess not only is it impressive the way they're winning, it's impressive the mindset behind it. I know we've hammered that into the ground the last couple of podcasts, but it's it's continuing to ring true. Yeah, and I mean, it's crazy to think. At, you know, right now we're recording. It's Monday afternoon. Last week on Monday, they played Chicago. A week ago today, they were four games, four wins less than where they are now. Like they, 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 four games fewer, I should say, four wins fewer. They've played four games. They beat Chicago. They beat Boston. They beat Chicago. They beat Buffalo. And they still got Arizona tomorrow and watch them go into the break with a loss to the Coyotes. I keep saying this every episode. I'm trying to be the guy that says, I told you they finally lost. And the Avs are like, nope, shove it up your, you know, ass. We're going to keep winning. Like that's what they keep doing. It's hilarious. Right. You don't want to be the, you know, you don't want to be accused of being a homer and saying, oh, well, this team can win every single game, but this team can absolutely win every single game. Right. And that's kind of what I wanted to get into next is with the 18 straight wins at Ball Arena. Is that really that impressive when you're kind of just beating anybody? I mean, the home home ice doesn't really have the factor there. It's home ice opponent's ice you're winning it that's a good way. point yeah no 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 I, I i didn't know which way you were going with that i'm like absolutely that means something but yeah they're they're winning everywhere right now it's right. it's not making a difference what i think is the key by the way is in january they play 10 home games if that was 10 road games they probably wouldn't have won all of them not because buildings and you know home ice advantage which you know is because of the atmosphere more or less it's because of the travel so they had a bunch of teams traveling here rather than them traveling to a bunch of different cities. They had six road games and, you know, a couple of them were back to backs like the L.A. and uh, uh, the other guys, L.A. and Anaheim. So it is impressive. And I think the most important thing here is they've got some more home games coming up here. Three of their next four are at home. They get the Arizona Coyotes on Tuesday. Their next game, the following Thursday, so eight days later is the Tampa Bay Lightning. So that one is going to be a massive test. Assuming they beat the Arizona Coyotes, which, you know, on any given night, anybody can beat anyone, never say never. Tampa Bay would be the shot to win 20 consecutive games at Ball Arena. That's half. Well, I mean, a schedule is 41, but that's half of your home schedule of straight wins. Like, that's crazy. Could we, could we please just sit back and think of just how magnificent this team is right now? Right, and that's three back-to-backs that they had in the month of January, and in all three of those, the second game of that back-to-back was on the road. So again, they're just battling, and they're they're getting through games, and they're they're coming out victorious. I mean, a good little stat from that month is, you know, of, of all these wins of the fifteen zero and one record in January, only nine of those wins were in regulation. Four of them were overtime. Two of them in a shootout. A lot of extra hockey. Yes. Nine wins in regulation, seven games that went past regulation, and they went six and one. And again, we know the one game they lost. I, by the way, I have this weird theory in my mind that had that overtime game not ended the way it did in Nashville, they would not have come out and won all these other games after it. That game pissed them off because yeah, what did we say? Right. We The Avalanche, you know, they won their first, what was it? They've won their last 10. So they won their first five games of the month of January. After losing to Nashville from that COVID game back in mid-December, which ended a five-game win streak. So Colorado entered that game against Nashville with the phantom too-many-men penalty with a 10-1 and record in their last 11 games, having said the one loss was the COVID outbreak game. And they lost that game because of that phantom call. They still got one out of two points, thanks to Kale McCarr and a snipe with like five minutes left in regulation. And they went into their post-game presser saying, this is the most frustrated we've been in a long time. We can't believe we lost that. They were pissed off. They were upset 
that they lost one point out of 12 to start the month. And then they rolled off 10 straight wins. Like they wanted all of them and they pretty much almost got them except for that goal. Like it's, it's crazy. Like that goal set them up to be like, you know what? Screw this. We're going to win every single game. And what came after the Nashville game? Oh, you know, nothing crazy, just a crazy game against Minnesota where uh, Jordan Greenway and <laughs> I don't know why I keep saying they were crazy. Uh, 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 a big game against Minnesota where Jordan Greenway collided with Kemper and Frankie had to come in and, and uh, replace him as well as a comeback against the Boston Bruins, as well as the first three shutouts of the season, all in these last 10 games. Yeah, they, It's, dare I say, crazy. It's crazy. It's crazy, no doubt. But one thing that I'm thinking about here is I know they broke the NHL record for wins in January, and I think they tied the NHL record for wins in any month. Yep. But at the same time, are they playing more games than a, a standard month because of the compact yeah. schedule? The Boston Bruins in 2014 won, uh, 2013, I believe, won 15 games in a month, or maybe it was the Pittsburgh Penguins. It was those two years. The Penguins in 2013, that's what it was. And I'm pretty sure they went 15 and 0. I could be wrong. But if you remember, the reason why in 2013 they had 15 games in a month was because that was a lockout shortened season. You know, back before seasons were COVID, were uh, shortened because of COVID, they were shortened because of stoppages, because welcome to the NHL. And then the Bruins, I think they were like 15-1-1 one, and one in 2014, so they played 17. So there have been months with 16 games. It happens, but um, the, moral of the, like, the moral of the story is it's, it's not it's just crazy. the fact that they— It's crazy. <laughs> First of all, it's, it's crazy. But it's not the fact that they won 15 games. It's, it's the fact that they went 15-0-1. Oh, mm-hmm. Like We're not talking about them going 15-5 and five and being like, they broke the record. Well, you played 20 games in 30 days. Yeah, you had a big chance. Like It's— they played 16 games, they lost one in overtime, and every single one was a victory. I'm going to rattle off a few more stats from the month of January. Forgive me if this bores you, but I find them fascinating. Um, oh, kind of, we love the numbers here at Hockey Mountain High. You know that. Kind of like I was saying there, Arif, they played a lot of games in January. Well, they actually were tied for the most games played in January, tied with Boston. And of course, with that and their great record, their first in wins in the month of January, first in points, first in point percentage. Second in goals, four, which was interesting to me that Florida actually beat them out with less games played. But that's a great testament to how the offense is buzzing. They scored nine twice. That helped. Right. Absolutely. And then uh, they're actually first in goals against. So the offense is going. Meanwhile, the goaltending and defensive is playing nice and sound. So I like that right there. And third in power play. So I think the power play is been really carrying them a lot lately right we pointed out last week how five on five really seems to be a struggle for this team but um all all those stats for this team up against the rest of the nhl just shows how magnificent and historic of a january they had yeah the biggest thing for me is the the goals against and the goals for per game they were scoring four goals a game throughout the month of january and that does not include the shootout so it's technically 40 you know four goals per game plus two and they were allowing 2.19 goals per game. And this is the team that all season, they were allowing three and a half, three and a half, three and a half, but they were scoring four and a half, so it was fine. Well, at the bottom of the league, you always have the Tampa Bay Lightning. You always have the New York Rangers, the New York Islanders. Well, those guys round out the top five with the Vancouver Canucks with Colorado right there in first. So they played the most hockey and still had the most sound defensive game. 
And that's pretty damn good considering, again, what we just mentioned earlier, the fatigue of this team, the fact that some nights it's going to get away from you. Some third periods, like we saw against Chicago, it's going to get away from you. I mean, they let in four goals in 20 minutes to the Blackhawks. What happens if that's a one? Suddenly that 2.19 goals against per game, it's closer to two, if not less than two. So this includes the fact that fatigue played a factor. This includes the fact that they had some wonky games in there, like Toronto in the first period, for example, like Boston before they decided we want to win this game. And despite all of that, they were still the best defensive team. I think it was only about four weeks ago, right, that the Nashville Predators and everybody on Avalanche Twitter was giving them shit that the the Predators were saying, oh, look at us, we're in first place, we got the most points. And it's fun to look at those standings now, and the Avalanche now have nine more points than the Nashville Predators with two games still in hand. So, again, they just absolutely separated themselves this month from the rest of the pack, and it's going to be hard for them to even come close to even a second-place spot at this point. That was the game. That was the loss, the overtime loss. It was, this is the game for the fight for first place. The Avalanche win today. They are first in the Mm -hmm. Central, and I'm like, they have five games in hand. Like, they can lose this game and they're good. But when I said they're good, I didn't mean they're going to rattle off 10 straight wins. I just meant they're fine. But 10 straight wins is great. We'll take it. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of good things from the team. A lot of good player stats too, right? A lot of good individual performances from a lot of the guys and the guys that we need to carry the team, right? I think there's been a couple conversations we had of who's carrying the weight right now. Well, at this moment and in the month of January is all the guys you need to. Yeah, I mean, Miko Rantanen's 23 points are second in the NHL, just one back of Huberto, who plays for those Panthers that, you know, obviously scored a ton of goals and scored nine goals twice. I believe Huberto had a five-point game in there. Five of the top 15 point scorers in the NHL in the month of January played for the Avs. It's Rantanen, it's Kadri, it's McKinnon, it's Landeskog, and it's Kill McCarr, as Sam Gerard likes to call him. Plus minus, Makar was first in the NHL in January with a plus freaking 19. And Devon Taves was third at a plus 14. By the way, Devon Taves was a minus two against Chicago in that crazy ending game. Uh, Both in that third period is where he got the minus two. First game all year year that he was a minus. I think that's the first game in a Colorado sweater that he was a minus. No, no, no. He had had some last year. I double-checked it. He had some last year, but first game... All season mm. that he's been a minus, and uh, and and it's it's crazy because we're this far into the season. Here's the parts that were big for me: Pavel Francouz and Darcy Kemper. Everything we've talked about is centered around these two guys, because you can have a tired forward, a tired defenseman. Uh, you know, a Gabe Landeskog misses a few games with COVID, and a Nathan McKinnon misses the last you know two now going to be three games against Arizona. Uh, after the collision with Taylor Hall, and this guy loses this game, and this, you know, Val Nachushkin had a little bit of a COVID thing at one point. Guys are in and out of the lineup. You know, we unfortunately saw Bowen Byram have to step away halfway through the month. Despite all of that, you can still win games. But if you have a goaltender like Kemper being backed up by someone like Johansson or Miska or Anunin, you know, guys that are not necessarily ready, and you have to overplay your starter, you're screwed. So this is where the biggest thing was. It was the fact that the Avalanche had a 50-50 tandem in Pavel Francouz and in Darcy Kemper. Darcy Kemper was a 928 in terms of safe percentage in the month of January with a shutout. Pretty damn good, right? Well, Frankie said I'm going to one-up both of those. He was a 935 safe percentage, and he had two shutouts. 
It's incredible. What these two guys did is incredible. And then I also want to shout out Kel McCarr. He's the only guy in the NHL in the month of January with two overtime goal game winners. And we obviously saw the one against Chicago, how fun that one was. And then obviously against Boston, which probably was even bigger than the one where he made Kirby Doc look silly. I have no idea where I got that Devon Taves. That I, I just counted. He did 12 games I feel like, last year with, no, it, no, with no. a minus. So, so I've heard that too. And I wanted to check it for myself. I feel like someone has said before, someone has must have tweeted it or said it because as soon as I saw he was a minus two against Chicago, I said, damn, I think this is the first time in his Avs career. And then I went back to last year and looked and I'm like, nope, he's, he's had quite a few of them, but quite a few. Yeah. yeah quite debunked. a few. I mean, he was still a plus 63 or I think he's up to plus 65 now in like 85 games in an avalanche sweater. So he's, he's doing okay. I mean, he'll take a couple minuses here and there. Yeah. Absolutely. Let's take a quick sec to talk about DraftKings Sportsbook, guys. In the NFL, the Super Bowl's right around the corner, right? And you know DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, is counting down to Super Bowl 56. New customers can get 56 to 1 odds on either of these teams. Bet just $5 and get 280 in free bets if your team wins. Not a new customer? You can experience the Super Bowl with same game parlays or really any sport. Combine multiple bets from the same game for a bigger payout. The more legs you add, the more money you can win. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. Best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code MHS and get 56 to 1 odds on either team. Bet just $5 and win 280 in free bets if your team wins. That's promo code MHS for 56 to 1 odds at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only, new customers only, restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. Before JJ tells me to shut up about talking about football, I got a couple words to say. Number one, the playoffs this year have been incredible. This past weekend of games was just crazy. Let's go back to that word. Those were both really fun <laughs> games to watch. And I got to shout out my boy, Matthew Stafford. Detroit is behind you. Go out there and win a Super Bowl. Let's move on. Yeah, please. Let's move on. Um, <laughs> all right. From here on out, Arif, for the rest of the podcast, if you use the word crazy, we got to get you to donate a dollar to the Patrick Stedman Fund. Oh, damn. That's crazy, I tell you. <laughs> There's one. Cha-ching. I wish we had a little sound bite. Just do the cha-ching every time you said crazy from here on out. But we got some more things to get to here, considering the Avalanche have been playing games that we haven't really broken down necessarily. I don't really want to get too deep involved into the, you know, play-by-play -play, every single goal of each of the games. But there are a couple topics we do need to get to. And I think you led us off. I guess you, you finished us off in the first little portion of that uh, conversation perfectly, and that's the goaltending I think we should touch on because, like you mentioned, it's it's the first time that the Avalanche really can, I guess, relax, take a deep breath. No matter who's back there, you've got somebody strong, and if they're not having a good night, you can change them out with somebody who probably will. So the goaltending looks good, and Jared Bednar kind of reiterated the fact to you yesterday about Darcy Kemper being the starter. Get into that a little bit for, for the listeners. Yeah, I asked uh, Jared Bednar about the goaltending situation. Given the way that the you know the two have split duties, it's been more of a 50-50 tandem here in the month of January. Way, way back when Darcy was first acquired, when training camp was first starting and Frankie didn't get injured in the preseason, Jared Bednar was very clear in saying, Darcy Kemper's here to be our starter. 
Pavel Francouz will back him up. And then I forget what the numbers he used. He either said 60-40 or 55-45 or 65-35 you know, in terms of how he's going to split the starts for Kemper versus Frankie. So I asked him yesterday, I said, is this uh, still the way you see it? Is Darcy still your starter? And he said yes. Like there was no question. Darcy is still our starter. That's what he was brought in to do and that's what he's going to do. So I like that. I like that he said that. I also like the fact that if he's wrong, it's fine because him being wrong means Frankie's playing good enough to start games. I mean, it could also mean that Kemper is struggling, but it's fine because he's not saying that with a backup goalie that you don't want to be starting in the playoffs like, you know, someone like Jonas Johansson. He's saying that about Darcy Kemper when he's backed up by Pavel Francouz. So I think Jared didn't really walk himself into a corner as much as it was like, yeah, you know what? I'll roll the dice with Kemper. And if he's wrong, I'll come up here and I'll be like, yeah, so Frankie's the one that's going to start. He's the better goalie. We're winning games. What are you going to do about it? Like it's the avalanche are in a good position with these two guys right now. And it's again, it's the highlight of the month of January for me is Francis coming back. He obviously played that game in December, but we, you know, we all flushed it out of our memory, the COVID outbreak. Francis came back. He was healthy. He stayed healthy and he was damn good in these games playing for the first time in nearly two years. I think for Jared Bednar, he's convinced right now in his mind that Darcy Kemper is the starting guy, but I'm not sure he's fully a hundred percent on board with that yet. I think he might expect that to change in the coming weeks, months, games, who knows, but I think he does expect that to change eventually. And the reason I say that, of course, Francis has been getting the quote unquote weaker games, right? I mean, he got the Seattle game, of course, they both split an Arizona game, and he got both of the Chicago games. But I also think back to when Jared Bednar had both Varlamov and Philip Grubauer, right? A really awesome one-two punch, especially as Grubauer was starting to get comfortable and really emerge in net for Colorado. And the way Jared Bednar would run things then is he'd essentially say, you know, I'm not really one to say who's playing better than the other, but what I am going to do is look at history versus a given opponent, right? And he would say, looks like Varlamov in his career has had a harder time with X team, and Grubauer has had a pretty decent record against him. I'm going to play Grubauer in this one. And that's what I feel like he's kind of doing right now, right? I mean, you saw Francis get both of those Chicago games. Not necessarily that Kemper needed a rest there, but I think Bednar just saw, you know, Francis knows how to beat Chicago. Francis, we can lean on him here. I mean, I know it wasn't a must-win game, but... I think he was able to just have some confidence in Francis because of, of the history. And again, I, I don't think that's a tool he really uses or a stat that he leans on unless he's kind of 50-50 about who's to go. Does that make sense? It does. And, and it, you know, it, it makes a lot of sense, but they can split the games any way you want to split it for the next, what, we're at, what, 43 games now? So for the next 39, you can split them any way you want to split them. But when it comes yeah, time, yeah. But for, if you're if you're splitting them 50-50, I think that tells you quite the sign. I mean, that tells yeah, you right there that absolutely no decision's been made. But when it comes time for the playoffs, you got to pick a guy to start game one. Do you not? Even you if you absolutely do, yeah. So even if you decide to do a tandem thing in the in in the playoffs where you're playing both guys and you're splitting between the two, the guy you're starting in game one is the guy you're more confident in. That's your starter. So. I don't mind what he said yesterday. I don't mind the fact that Darcy is the starter right now. And maybe he gets 55 of the percent of the remaining games of the 39. So maybe it's 20, you know, whatever, 22 to 17 or something like that. Maybe that's what ends up happening. 
But in the playoffs, whoever's playing better is who you're going to start. Are you going to start Kemper if he's struggling? Probably not. Is Kemper going to be struggling a lot to the point where you need to start Frankie? I mean, assuming no injuries, I don't think so. So I think Kemps is going to be the guy to go. But you still have that security blanket. His name is Pavel, and he's good. I think that kind of feeds into my point a little, though, Arif. I'm with you. You 100% ride the hot goalie into the playoffs. But don't you also do that during the regular season? Don't you do that kind of all the time? And right now where he's kind of at a point where he says, I'm really not leaning too strongly either way. Yeah, at he's least not. He's not. In terms of games played, he can say it out loud. But we're, what we're seeing in terms of ice time, it looks like he's pretty split. So I'm with you. You play the hot one. And right now there just isn't a hot one. They're both playing substantially better than we've seen him play all year. And for that reason, he he's not ac- exactly at a point where he can confidently say one is better than the other right now. couple things for me. Number one, there is a hot one. It's both of them. It's not that there isn't a hot one. It's that they're both playing good. You can't pick one over the other. Number two, let's go back to what we've been saying for the last couple weeks. We've been pumping Jared's tires for having a mindset shift, for treating overtimes differently, for treating his line combinations differently, doing things like putting Miko Rantanen at center and putting Val on the top line or O'Connor on the top line rather than moving Kadri around, doing things with the power play like he has in the last few games, going to a Taves and Gerrard defensive unit. And then when McKinnon got hurt, rather than putting a forward there, he put Sam Gerrard. He's doing a lot of things differently. What I saw in January from him starting both goalies and giving them that kind of a 50-50 split wasn't him saying, I don't know which hot hand to start. That was him saying, we play 16 games in 29 days, no matter how good they play. And he's talking to himself, Jared, no matter how good this guy plays, even if he puts in a shutout, you're starting the other guy the next game. They are both going to be splitting duties. We're going to get through this month in one piece. Hopefully no injuries. Obviously McKinnon got hurt. And that's what he's going to do. And that's what he did. Francouz had a shutout. He still went to Kemper. And then he went back to Francouz. And the results are there for you. He didn't go either way, and he came out of the month 15-0-1. If you're going to ride the hot goalie, the first time Frankie puts up a shutout, you play him the next game. He puts up another shutout, you play him the third game. He finally struggles and they lose. Okay, now let's switch to Kemper. He said, I'm not going to let it get to that. I'm going to keep switching between these two guys for the entire month because it's an exhausting month. Let's let the hot goalie play in February. Whoever takes the reins in that month, that's your starter, which Kemper is going to get the, you know, the upper hand chance on that. I don't know. I don't know if I'm fully on board with that. I think if on last Monday, Francis comes out and lays an egg against Chicago, he doesn't see Chicago again the following Friday. I, I, don't, I just don't see it happening. Uh, no, I, no. I, 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 I disagree with that because there's no way. Well, how many games were there between the Chicago game? Just one, right? Right. So it's been seven days, four games, and the two and two. Chicago, Boston, Chicago, and then Buffalo. Buffalo. And obviously, yeah. So they went Frankie, Kemper. Fr- okay. So... If Francis lays an egg against the Chicago Blackhawks, you're still going to Kemper against Boston. But why wouldn't you give, like, what is Francis, a rookie? If he lays an egg against the Blackhawks, it's, hey, Pavel, saddle up and go right back against them. You got to play these guys again. That's that's what he would have he done. I don't know if that's true. I think you go back to Kemper if that was the case. You say, hey, Kemper, you just won against Boston. That was a great win. We really needed you there. And you, you stood on your head. We're going to ride you into uh, this next game against Chicago because Pavel had a tough time on Monday. Of course, this is all, you know, yeah, hypothetical. It's, it's hypothetical. This, this I, can, happen. I can walk into the, press, into the press room tomorrow and be like, hey, Jared, quick question. So if the Avalanche and you guys had <laughs> lost to the Blackhawks the day you, got sh- you shut them out 2 nothing, and then you went to Kemper against Boston— 
would you have come back and played? Like, no, you're not going to ask him that. But hey, the reality is, if the Avs don't make that comeback against Boston, Kemper lost and he let in three goals on 32 shots. So you can look at him and be like, ah, the Avalanche lost because Kemper had a bad game. Marshawn came on on a two-on-one and he was challenging the shooter and he still got beat. How dare you? No. So that's the point. The point is, I think he had a plan and he stuck with it. And the results make it hard for me to prove my point because there weren't many terrible games for you to be like, all right, well, let's go to the next guy um, or let's stick with this guy because the other guy played bad. But my whole thing is Jared went into this month with a new kind of mindset of how to deal with these goalies. Obviously, he didn't start it from the beginning of the month because he wanted to make sure that Frankie was healthy and able to play this much hockey and be good at it. But once he saw that he had these two guys at their strength, Darcy being the guy that we all, you know, loved in Arizona and, you know, we're looking at like, damn, we'd love to have him. And Frankie being the guy before his injuries, he said, you know what? I got both these guys. They're both healthy. I'm going to keep splitting between the two. Francis is going to post a shutout. We're going to go right back to Kemper. Kemper is going to make an excellent comeback. You know, the Avalanche are going to make an excellent comeback victory against Boston and Kemper shut the door, not letting in that fourth goal. Well, I'm going to go right back to Frankie. Frankie got another victory. We're still going back to Kemper. It's the Buffalo Sabres. Why would you start your goal, your starting goalie against the Buffalo Sabres and waste his energy? Who cares? We're going right back to Kemper. I think he really played this out. It was strategic. It was methodical. And it was the right way to do it. And again, 15-0-1, nothing he did can say, nothing, he, nothing, you, nothing we can say can prove that he did something wrong because the way that he went about it was exactly the way. But what's going to happen in, in, in February is going to be a different story. Because you know against the Tampa Bay Lightning, Kemper's going to get the start. That's for that's for certain. Unless he gets injured during the All-Star break, you know damn well, coming off of that break, you know, tomorrow Frank Frankie or, you know, you guys are probably listening to this on Tuesday, Francis is going to start tonight against the Arizona Coyotes most likely. And then you're going to go right back to Kemper against Tampa. And if Kemper wins that game against Tampa, he's going to start the next game too. We'll see. We'll see. It seems like uh, every other thing really tells me that there's confidence a lot of confidence in both goalies, which is a great thing, right? And the last point I'll make on this topic is last night after the game when Darcy Kemper was asked, are you enjoying having a little bit more time to rest? He was basically, you know, we, we all thought he was going to kind of take that, yeah, this has been lovely. I, uh, it's great having two goalies. But he was like, no, I feel good. I've been feeling good this whole time. I'm not tired at all, right? So I think that too. He's a competitor. Yeah, he's a competitor. But I think that that's too a guy, that's a guy. tells you that, that he he's ready to go, and it's not by any means Jared Bednar saying, oh, well, I talked to Darcy Kemper. He's getting a little tired back there. That's why we got to really ride Francis a little bit heavier than you would the, than you would normally. I'm sorry, but the last way that I would ever go about proving a point is by a player saying they're ready to go. Players always say they're ready to go. Goalies, Darcy can know. Darcy the entire month of D, it's freaking you know like Grubauer last year. Grubauer, I don't played. expect him to say, "Oh yeah, I'm tired, I'm not ready to go." But I do expect him to say, "Yeah, it's been nice having Pavel back. It's been nice maybe splitting games a little bit and splitting." That's some not time. what comp- that's not what competitors say. Maybe Isn't if it about he, the team, maybe is it about the maybe wind? maybe if he was playing sixteen to seventeen games a month or not literally that high of a number, but a crazy amount of games for four straight months like Grubauer had to before they brought in Devin Friggin Dubnik to be his backup. Maybe at that point he can be like, yeah, little bit. But this is a competitor, man. This is a guy that you know. It's January. We're forty three games into the season of a season that started. What was it? Four and a half months ago, October, November, December. Three and a half months ago, and we're only forty three games in. Because of the COVID pause, because of the cancellations, because of all the shit that's moved around. 
This isn't a guy that's going to come out there and be like, yeah, I'm tired. This is a guy that wants to prove I can play every other night. Because when the playoffs come around, the last thing a goalie wants is to be in a 50-50 split with another goalie. You want to be Vasilevsky going out there and winning 16 games. You don't want to be a goalie winning 10 games and your backups winning six of them to win the cup. You want to be there every single night. It's a competitor. So it's a friendly competition, and that's usually how it is with goal with goaltending. You know, when you talk to Marc-Andre Fleury back in his days with Matt Murray, it was the same exact thing. Back in his days with Thomas Vokun, same thing. And more recently with Robin Leonard, same exact thing. I'm just saying it's a little more even than I think we're being led to believe. If, if come April, I were to tell you, Arif, back in March, Francis uh, actually took over the net for a while. Kemper had a couple rough games and Francis started four in a row. Would that surprise you? No, absolutely not. And that's that's the point. It's he's got a security blanket. But in February, when you play the Tampa Bay Lightning and then you got three days off before you play Dallas, you're gonna play Kemper both those games. I get it. I get it. I'm not saying Kemper's not your starter. What I'm saying is, you know, I guess I'm kind of foreshadowing the potential that Franzuz is gonna come in and make some noise. I'm not saying he's gonna come well, steal the job, but there's a very good chance, and I don't think anybody in Colorado Avalanche Lane is convinced that that net is 100% Kemper's. Not even no, Jared I, Bednar. Not even me. Not even me. I'm just saying right now he's your starter. I'm just saying that what we saw in January wasn't a case of him questioning if Kemper's a starter. It was more a case of the schedule. That's the only point that I'm making. I'm not saying that it's going to stay like that. I'm not saying if Frankie can you know, take over the starting role, you come back and say, I told you so. I'm just saying that right this moment... That's why January played out the way it was. Francis came back from an injury. They needed to get him in as many games as possible to see what they have with this guy. They haven't seen him play regular season games since before COVID existed. Well, it existed. We just didn't know in this country. We didn't really take, you know, give a shit. But since before the COVID pause of March 2020. So they needed to see what they had in this guy. They saw what they had in him. And now you know you got a good starter in Darcy Kemper and he's playing well. You got a backup in Pavel Francis, who was a 935 in January. You're good. Yeah, they're good. And that's that's the point here. They're the one-two punch. It's crazy. I once had a radio guy ask me, and that was when Philip Grubauer first signed with the Avalanche, and they had Varley and Grubauer combo. I had him ask me, oh, is it like the NFL where if you have two goalies, you basically have none? And I said, absolutely freaking not. You want to have no. two goalies, and this is exactly why. I mean, what we're seeing right before our eyes and just the luxury of not having to ride one over the other. That's a... That's a uh, scarred Broncos fan from having Bridgewater and Drew Locke going toe to toe for the starters role. Yeah, that's that's what that is. It's a that's a classic different. Denver media member who has no idea what they're talking yeah. about when it comes to hockey, but tries to talk about it anyway. Yeah. Is, is Darcy Kemper the new Teddy Bridgewater or Drew Locke? That's what I want to know. <laughs> uh, good callback there. That was a good callback. Um, all right, we've hammered the goalie conversation to the ground. Let's move on a little bit. A couple other um, observations, I guess, from the Chicago or Buffalo games uh, that, that you wanted to get to. Logan O'Connor fought Kyle Ocposo, who was a hell of a lot older than him, a hell of a lot meaner than him, and he held his own. So kudos to Logan O'Connor. But here's the most fascinating part of that. That was his first fight in the NHL. Logan O'Connor. Did you know that? Because I, 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 that's insane. I feel like that's crazy. It's crazy. I feel like he's been in a bunch of those. I mean, it feels like he's been getting under a lot of people's yeah, he's always skins. In skirmishes, right? Yeah. So I, I was taken aback by that when he mentioned it at practice, you know, Monday morning. Um, but the way he put it was hilarious. It felt like it was a long time coming. This is a guy that's in every skirmish getting, he's a little, 
you know, little pesky little guy out there getting under everybody's skin. And finally, somebody was ticked off enough to challenge him. And Kyle Akposo was pissed. <laughs> so it was fun to see. Yeah, I think uh, <laughs> as tough as Logan O'Connor is, and, and, you know, he's not afraid to back down from anybody, I think the, the moment that's going to stand out in my mind from him this season is when he slammed his face into the ice and, and lost a tooth because of it. But I think maybe that was a moment where he's like, hey, all right, my face isn't made of glass. I, I lost a tooth anyway. Who cares what happens to my face from here on out? It's not going to get much worse. So um, hilarious moment from the from the face into the, into the ice. But, yeah, it was a good fight. He wasn't scared, right? He was kind of crazy how he was looking to just fight any one of them at that point. It looked like he was going after three different guys, and Kyle Ocposo's the guy he ultimately ended up dancing with. But, um, yeah, much bigger guy and not the best fight, but he held his own and landed a couple punches, didn't get one, you know, didn't get a fist smashed into his cheekbone. So good scrap from Logan. <laughs> yeah, it's – uh, it, I mean – Again, Akposo was pissed off, and he's like, "You know what? I'll take it. I'll I'll give you your fight." And I mean, it was it was fine. They both landed one or two good punches. That was about it. But we also learned at practice today that Monday evening, Logan O'Connor scheduled for root canal, so he's working on that, you know, that uh, hmm. issue that he had there with his teeth hitting the ice. That's interesting. I, you'd think you'd do that uh, during the off season, right? It must be. I know you'd think, right? That's maybe. That's prepping, yeah, probably, you know, dead nerve or something. Mm. I've, I've dealt with a couple root canals, but that's uh, that's somebody playing with fire there. He's going to get a nice root canal, maybe an implant. He's not going to get an implant right away. He's just going to get one of the Ryan O'Reilly, you know, put her in, take her out yep. kind of things. Because if you get an implant, you're you're asking to get sticked in the face the next day and be like, God damn it, back in the dentist chair. Like, it's not fun. I, have a, I know you're covered. You're a professional athlete. You have insurance. You just, you don't want to do that again. I have a friend who has one of those little retainer tooth things. And anytime we're out at the bars, I just am completely embarrass him and say, "Hey, pop your tooth out." <laughs> He'll do it every time, just goofy as hell. All right, O'Reilly. Every year, you see it pop up on the NHL Twitter account at least once with this big, ugly smug and his beard, and just and he just pops it out. It's hilarious. Uh, one thing I really wanted to talk about, at least acknowledge, was maybe the best. Empty net goal I've ever seen in my life. And that's from Kale Makar from the other end of the ice. The first thing it hits is the back of the freaking net. I, I don't know if I ever seen that, right? And that's that's just, uh, I don't know. That's just amazing. And Kale Makar just has a knack for those empty net goals at any point on the ice. So even in the defensive zone, I feel like in the past we've seen a lot of avalanche and maybe even namely Gabe Landeskog. Try to send those empty netters from the other end of the ice and hit wide. Well, it seems like Kale McCarr is a hundred percent on on uh, accuracy on those. That to me was an NBA buzzer beater shot in basketball from the other side of the court. That's what that looked like to me. Yeah, I mean that's kind of how a goalie goal has to go, right? Over everyone, which is a little bit different. Usually, somebody just finds a window and sends a laser through. But going over everyone, that's just another level of thinking and that three-dimensional thought that, that the best players can really use. So just, a, you know, a, a sign of how good that guy's hockey IQ is. Yeah, it was it was an incredible goal, and uh, it was a second empty netter of the night for that game. But, no, definitely that goal is worth talking about because that was, I mean, to me it was, it was the nicest. Like, it was just, it came out of nowhere. He kind of just shot the puck, and you're like, wait, uh, holy shit, did he just do that? Like, it was a... For an empty net goal, it was about as nice as you can make one of those. Holy shit, did he just cover the puck line? That's, yeah, a lot of people are like, (laughs) cha-ching. 
Uh, guys, real quick, got to tell you about Total Beverage in Thornton and Westminster. Everybody already knows them, right? But sure, Total Beverage has an incredible selection of beer, wine, and spirits. Did you know they also deliver? Did you know they have curbside pickup available? And did you know that they do online wine education classes? What better than to become a sommelier and an expert, impress all your friends from the comfort of your own home? If not, it's time to get to know Total Beverage again. Stop by on 104th in Thornton or on Sheridan in Westminster and see for yourself. Or you can always find weekly deals, events, and even drink recipes online at TotalBev.com. Total Beverage, everything you need and more. Moving on here, let's get to, uh, I guess, a topic that we've been wanting to get a little bit more in-depth on the last couple weeks. Haven't really had a chance because there's been a lot going on, and that's Nazem Kadri getting a new agent. Kind of weird timing in the middle of the season, weird timing coming up on a contract, right? But uh, he, he claims that it's not exactly something he's thinking about. I feel like it's hard to fully believe when he is going through these uh, steps to get a new contract. I think... That's obviously something he's gearing up for and preparing for the offseason, but um, you got to take it for his word and, and assume that he is staying focused because he's producing. He's absolutely staying focused, but he's absolutely also thinking about what's next. I mean, if you have 59 points in 40 games, which is a pace of over 120 for an entire season, yeah, you're thinking about that payday. It's in the back of your head. You're making steps, changing your agent, making sure you got the right guy in place to get you the biggest payday, uh, to get you the best situation for you. But at the same time, two things can be true. You are also focused on the here and the now, this team and winning, which he 100% is. Look how he's playing. He's been he's been consistent the entire year. Like he had a he had a blip in the radar for like 5 games in October and since then it's been consistency. McKinnon got injured. They said when McKinnon comes back, he's going to slow down and he didn't. Landeskog went out, came back, still didn't slow down. McKinnon's out again. He's still putting up points. So two things can be true and that's the way that I feel it. Uh, that's the way that I see it. And um, I think the biggest thing right now for me is the guy that he chose to be his agent. Yeah, I wanted to get into that. Why is that important? Because you really think that, oh, it's just about production and the numbers speak for themselves. But um, it, obviously, he considers it to be a big deal to, ha I guess, sign him right before he goes into this negotiation. So why does his agent and the guy he chose affect anything here? What's, what's the importance there? So I'm going to give you a couple of the names that he represents, and then I'll go into one of them specifically. So first of all, Taylor Hall. Uh, we saw the hard bargain he drove with Taylor Hall. It kind of backfired. He ended up doing a one-year, $8 million deal with the Sabres, and then going four years, $6 million a year with the Bruins, hoping to get more. He also represents Josh Anderson, who got that massive deal from the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, he also represents Max Domi, who got a pretty damn big deal from the Columbus Blue Jackets, a bridge deal at 5.3 a year. He got Sam Bennett, a pretty good contract here with the Florida Panthers. And at the top of the list, he represents the guy that I think gave Nazem Kadri the glowing reviews, Mitch Marner of the Toronto Maple Leafs. And there's a special story behind that negotiation from back in 2019 that has stuck with me. As soon as I heard the name Darren Ferris, I said, ooh, Kadri's looking for a payday. I mean, understandably so. He should. He's coming off one of the most league-friendly contracts, six years at $4.5 Even before this season, it was a steal. With this season, it's it's completely just a bargain. But Darren Ferris has a history with Mitch Marner, and I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, but if you're not, I'm going to go into it. I'm not that familiar with it. Go for it. I, I'm excited to hear this. All right, so I'm going to read you a snippet of an article from back when Austin Matthews signed his contract at 11.3 or 4 11.34 million dollars. 
And here's basically the, uh, the, the way the article goes. The gist of the reaction of one notable NHL agent Tuesday after Dubis signed Austin Matthews to a five-year contract extension worth about $58 million. And Darren Ferris, who was then the agent of, the, of, the, of Mitch Marner, said that's probably the best contract in the National Hockey League. There's no team-friendly discount there. Ferris, of course, is keeping close tracks of such things. Now that Matthews is a rich man, it's Marner's contract situation that's the focus of the Leafs' financial angst. Ferris reiterated his intent to put off negotiations on Marner's contract extension until after the playoffs. So not during the regular season, not during the playoffs, after the playoffs. But he also took time to sketch out the scenario that brought the Leafs and their leading point getter to the current state of in-season silence. And I quote, Ferris said, so far they've been trying to lowball Marner. That's the reason we've come to this point. Darren Ferris, as soon as Austin Matthews signed the biggest contract in Leafs history for the best player in Leafs history, came out and made it about Mitch Marner and said, if you guys think we're signing midseason, it's not happening. Mitch Marner pushed it until the summer deep into the summer, kind of like Miko Rantanen did. It was that same that same year where guys like Braden Point, Miko Rantanen, Mitch Marner, all those big names were all free agents at once, all those group two RFAs that made it well past and into training camp. Well, while guys like Miko were getting $9 million and guys like Braden Point were getting $7 million, Mitch Marner came in at $10.9 million. And it's all because Darren Ferris saw what Austin Matthews got. He saw what John Tavares got. And he said, my guy puts up as, as many points as that. So this is a guy that's going to look at Nazem Kadri and he's going to say, hey, you want him to play for the Avalanche? You paid Miko Rantanen $9 million to put up 100 points. How much are you going to pay Nazem Kadri to put up 110 That's the kind of... Yeah, it sounds like he's a hardballer. He is he a hardballer. He knows hard how to baller. play the hard so, game and he, he's... And he's good at it. He's good at it. He's a stickler. And sometimes it backfires. With Taylor Hall, he played the hardball. Nobody called his bluff. He ended up signing a one-year, $8 million contract with Buffalo, thinking that that'll raise his value. And the Sabres obviously, you know, withered away last year. So, you know, Taylor Hall ended up signing for $6 million a year. So it backfires sometimes. This is a guy that won the Hart Trophy a few years ago, you know, stole it from Nathan McKinnon, as we like to say, and probably should be making $10 million a year just based off of that season. It would be an overpay. It would be a bust of a contract, but probably what he should have gotten after that Hart Trophy year. So what I'm seeing from Nazem Kadri and Darren Ferris here is I don't think this guy's coming back. As much as you want it to be the case, the only way Nazem Kadri's coming back is if the Avalanche really, really put up a lot of money. And they can afford it. Because if you remember two months ago, the Avs were trying to trade for Jack Eichel. And who was going to be the piece that was going to get him that? It was going to be Nazem Kadri. That's a funny thing. But Jack Eichel comes with a $10 million contract. Obviously, the only reason why it didn't happen is because the Sabres weren't willing to eat any of the salary. But if the Sabres ate salary, what would have been? $2 million? So the Avs, knowing they have Nathan McKinnon's contract coming up, knowing that Rantanen makes nine and McCarr makes nine, they were still willing to bring in a second line center that signed for five more years like Jack Eichel for, let's say, eight million if the Sabres ate two. So Nazem Kadri can technically make eight. But how many years do you want to give a guy who's going to start next season at 32 years old eight million for? Yeah, and that's the thing with Darren Ferris. Playing hardball with Nas this year is not going to backfire, right? We know there are a lot of suitors. There are going to be a lot of teams that can afford him. And 
We know that the dollar bills are going to speak to Nazem Kadri on this contract. Might be one of his last of his career. So he's looking for dollar signs. Who knows if the Avalanche want to give it to him, right? I think kind of what we said during that Jack Eichel nonsense is, oh, this was my take, not not so much yours, is that just the fact that they were willing to part with Nazem Kadri tells me all I need to know about what they want to do with him this offseason. He's producing. He's a huge piece, and I'd hate to see him go, just like I hated to see Brandon Saad go. And, you know, it, it's fun to get new shiny toys, but it's even more fun when they stay around. But I, I, So, obviously, I'd love to keep him around. I just don't think it's feasible, and I don't think uh, I don't think Joe Sackick wants to uh, make it happen. I think he's got other plans. I don't know if he's got other plans per se, but here is the biggest thing for me. If, if Nazem Kadri was going to stay in Denver, it would have to be a shorter-term deal, so three or four years, not five, six, seven. It would have to be like a three-year deal at a higher number because that's the only way you're going to entice him. If he can get, let's say, $7 million a year on the open market for seven years, then you kind of got to give him like eight and a half or nine over two or three years in order for him to take that shorter deal. Here's the problem. The number that he can get on a long-term deal is the number that the Avalanche can afford on a short-term deal. So he's going to literally have to be putting years on the table to sign with the Avalanche. So if someone is willing to give him, let's say, six years at seven and a half a year, that's probably the number that the Avalanche can afford for two or three seasons. Nas will give you $22 million over three years. But somebody else is going to give him that same AAV over six years. So that's the issue. The Avalanche can't afford to go higher than his market value on a long-term deal because they're capped out. I guess here's my question to you. Like I just said, I think dollar signs speak volumes to Nazem Kadri, but I think he's also made it apparent that winning does too, right? He always talks about the unfinished business that they have. He always talks about the goal at hand. So assuming this team doesn't get it done this year, do you think that adds a little bit more of a chance of Nazem Kadri coming back to finish the unfinished business he always refers to rather than going to a team that can afford him better but is probably going to be a, a lot less competitive? Well, it depends on why they didn't win. Did uh, Kadri and Rantanen and McKinnon and Burakovsky and all those guys, just like they did in the 2020 bubble, did they come out and put up a shitload of points, but Francis and all these guys couldn't stop a puck against Dallas? If that's the case, then perhaps. But if your offense gets you know, shut down, I'm not going to say if Kadri gets suspended because I'm not going down that road. I hate what people <laughs> do. Um, if your offense gets shut down and Kadri says, I've got unfinished business, what if Joe Sackick looks at him and goes, and so do I, I don't want you anymore. I'm going to go a different direction. And we're also going to get rid of Burakovsky. And we're also going to get rid of Ryan Murray, maybe even Val, which I doubt because Val's a gamer. Maybe Sackick wants to change it up too. I think the best situation for everybody involved here is for the Avalanche to win the cup this year, for Nazem Kadri to get that ring on his finger and say, we did it. Let's shake hands. Thanks for trading for me. I'm going to go make eight or nine million dollars in Philadelphia or Montreal or God knows where. And then the Avalanche say, all right, they're going to pick up their phone. They're going to call this guy. I don't even know who his agent is. And they're going to say, hey, Joe, Joe, how would you like to come sign with the Avalanche for the repeat? We'll give you a one year deal at like eight million dollars. Come be our second line center. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know you're Joe Pavelski, but yes. How about you come replace Nazem Kadri as our second line center? You're killing it in Dallas. 
come sign with us for one year. You saw what Nas just did as our second line center. We saw what you just did with Dallas as a 37-year-old. Come win the cup here. You're what I like to call the Ogwok, old guy without a cup. Come win your cup here. Let's repeat. And then you can go your separate ways and retire and sail off into the sunset with Joe Thornton after that. How does that sound? I guess I like where you're going with that, but I I think that's a downgrade. I'd rather have Kadri than Pavelski any day. And well, yeah, especially for when sure. Pavelski for is sure. just an old man version of Landeskog. You already got a player just like that in Gabe Landeskog. Couple things. Number one, as good as Gabe Landeskog is at tipping the puck in front of the net on the power play, Pavelski is miles better than him. I'm Truth. sorry. He's, he's give you so that. good at that. That's number one. Number two, of course he's a downgrade from Nazem Kadri. But is Nazem Kadri going to take a one-year, $7.5 million deal to repeat? You might even get Pavelski for less than that. But then again, dude, so when Pavelski signed, just a side note, when Pavelski signed his three-year contract with the Dallas Stars for $21 million, that summer, that was the same summer the Avs traded for Nazem Kadri on that same day, July 1st. And I remember thinking, man, why didn't they just go after Pavelski? We just saw what he did to them in Game 7 in the playoffs. Because if you remember, he missed the first six games after that five-minute major against Vegas, comes back in Game 7 and scores a goal instantly. So the Dallas Stars give him a three-year, $21 million deal. And in your mind, or in my mind, I should say, it reminded me of the Patrick Marlowe contract with Toronto, another San Jose veteran who got one year too many. And the Toronto Maple Leafs ended up having to trade Marlowe the third year of that contract. Because they gave him a third year, they had to give Carolina a first-round draft pick just to take him off their hands. And that player turned to Seth Jarvis. Pretty damn good player on the Carolina Hurricanes. So in my mind, I'm like, Dallas went one year too many. And then the 2019-20 season happens. In 67 games, obviously, shortened because of COVID. Pavelski only had 31 points, so not even a half a point per game pace. And I went, oh boy, they have two more years at $7 million of this old man. Well, the old man came back last year in the shortened season, and in 56 games, he had 25 goals and 51 points. Pretty damn good. That's a 75-point pace over a full season. But now this year, the stars suck. They can't get it together. They win five straight. They lose five straight. In 42 games, Joe Pavelski's got... 19 goals, 29 assists, 48 points. For the first time in his career, he's probably going to hit 80 points, and he's doing it as a 37-year-old. So suddenly this contract that looked like it was one or two years too many is about to turn into some guy getting a pay raise from the $7 million he was making, even though he's going to be 38. I always have a problem rolling the dice on old guys. I know sometimes it pans out, but I think more times than not, they have a hard time fitting in with the culture, fitting in with the new structures. And let's not forget to mention, as of today, Dallas is tied for that last wild card spot with 48 points. Calgary, the other team, actually holding it. They're sitting just outside, but 48 points with both of those teams. So they're not out of it by any means. And they're, they're probably on a winning streak right now. They win five, they lose five. So they're, they're kind of in, then they're out, and they're kind of in. It's... I don't know. Nothing about them says that they're a dangerous team this year, and maybe I'll eat my words if they eliminate the Avalanche <laughs> again. But that would they're suck. fifteen five and one. Yeah, right. Like the team that eliminates you is that they're fifteen five and one at home, but they're eight twelve and one on the road. They're just whatever. 
All right, well, let's get uh, let's get on to the next topic here, and that's McKinnon and all other injury updates, Arif. So I guess as we wind down the podcast here, let's burn through uh, all the injury updates. All right, I'll leave, I'll save McKinnon for last. Ryan Murray is likely going to play uh, Tuesday against the Arizona Coyotes when you guys are listening to this. Darren Helm is almost back. No updates on Bowen Byram. It was, you know, nice to see Logan O'Connor talk about him and his buddy and kind of mention how, you know, put the hockey aside. We're all rooting for him and hoping he gets better. Um, and, you know, hopefully he's on the track and progressing towards better. But in terms of hockey, Jared Bednar said no updates about Bowen Byram. Dylan Sakura was sent down. Obviously, that to me says either Helm is going to play against the Coyotes or Murray for sure will play. And then McDermott will switch to forward and Murray will be the number six defenseman. And now Nathan McKinnon. He got no surgery and it's looking a little bit better. So the initial prognosis we talked about it last week was a facial fracture, obviously broken nose and a concussion. Now what the avalanche are saying is no surgery. He's doing well. They'll, they're hopeful that he'll be ready after the break on February 10 when they host the Tampa Bay Lightning. And boy, do you want McKinnon playing against the Lightning. So he's not going to the All-Star game like he did in 2019. He's not going to go there and partake in all the hoopla and, you know, stand behind the bench and, you know, take pictures with a broken nose looking like Rip Hamilton. Uh, like like you mentioned last episode, this is a guy that is going to rest and... It sounds like the injury is not as serious. Maybe the concussion is faded or is minor. Um, and hopefully he'll be ready to go on the 10th of February. I wonder what kind of nose surgery he got. If it was just a regular septoplasty to fix that middle bone in your nose, or if he got a full-on plastic surgery where he might have a new nose. <laughs> well, I think... We'll, what if he's like, hey, give me the give me the Gabe Landeskog. Yeah. I, I love the way his nose is shaped. Let me get I, one of those. I mean, can I just have his whole face? Can you just change it all? <laughs> just make me look like Gabe? Give me a haircut like Gabe. <laughs> um, so, yeah, there's your update right there. Let's wind down this podcast here with three stars. We haven't done three stars in a while, but I think this is an appropriate one to do three stars of the month. Absolutely an awesome month from the Avalanche. So let's give the entire month some recognition here. JJ. Star number three. What? It was a crazy month. It was a crazy get month. Get it right. Sorry. Excuse Thank me. Thank you. All right, let's get into the crazy stars. Crazy star number one. No, star number three. Sorry. K.O. McCarr. Two overtime winners. A lot of highlight goals. You know, you think about the Nashville game. You think about uh, the times they played Chicago. Was that was that even this month? That yeah, first that was. That was yeah, yeah, it was. That, that was one of the two. That was the fourth. Yeah. The second so overtime you, goal was the Boston uh, power play goal the other day. Yeah. So, I mean, he's been clutch. He's been dangerous. He's been fun to watch and just quickly becoming one of the most amazing players we've all laid our eyes on and we've seen some awesome players come through denver he's next level man the avalanche for years you look at players get drafted like morgan riley and zach Wierenski and ivan provorov and now guys like morvitz cider and this next generation of defensemen you're like man wouldn't it be great if the avalanche had that you know and their number one defenseman was not like a mixture of you know eric john eric johnson and, and yan Haida and uh francois Beauchemin and all these guys but all those guys I just listed, Kel McCarr is a next level. He is genuinely a generational defenseman. And uh, he's right here in Denver, and he's our third star of the week for the crazy month of January. That brings us to star number two. We're going to Miko Rantanen. Mainly just for, for leading the charge, right? I think he's really had to take on a big responsibility this month because if you remember back at the beginning of the month, Gabe Landeskog still had COVID. And now to finish off the month, Nathan, Nathan McKinnon is out. So 
Miko Rantanen is kind of the one constant there, and he's been carrying the weight, and he's been performing. He scored his last goal just yesterday on the power play. What a beautiful one-timer that was in the most Miko Rantanen-esque fashion with an assist from star number three, Kale McCarr. So uh, Miko Rantanen has just been great to watch, doing an awesome job putting up points, and he's doing so quietly, right? Doesn't even get an all-star nod. Yeah, nine goals and 23 points in 16 games. You know, we mentioned that earlier. The couple things that stuck out to me. Number one, he plays the most time on ice per game from that top line. His 21-26 just barely beats out Landis Gogg's 21-09 and McKinnon's 20-35 in the month of January. The second thing is, and this is not him, this is just the line in general. So Rantanen scored nine goals in 16 games, pretty good. McKinnon scored six in 14 games, pretty good considering the start to the season he had. Gabe Landeskog had 10 goals in 13 games. I didn't I I mean I guess it's recently he's been scoring a lot of goals. He had a couple there against Boston at the end and he scored yesterday against Buffalo, but all these guys are pitching in. Rantanen had 9, Gabe had 10, Nate had 6. That's 25 goals. How many did they score? They scored 44. The top line had 25 of the 44 goals. So even with Kadri doing his thing, even with Kelmakar doing his thing and Burakovsky, you still had more than half your goals come from that top line led by Miko Rantanen. Yeah, thanks for pointing that out. That's awesome because I don't think anybody's heard that everywhere, right? I mean, you know that the team's doing well, but you don't realize how much of that is still being done by the top guys. And like Gabe Landeskog, you're mentioning that he's even scoring goals pretty quietly, and he is, right? Because a lot of the goals, they're not fancy. They're hard work. They're dirty. A puck might bounce off somebody, and it still goes in, but those are just Gabe Landeskog goals those are him doing his job doing it the best he can and that's exactly what happens when he does so um no awesome stat there from the top line yeah he's he's you know they're not necessarily carrying a second line of Soderberg Nieto and Como but Mm -hmm. they're still carrying the team it's and it's great to see that along with the goaltending which brings us to star number one for the month of January Pavel Fransuz returning he's been awesome and uh I think we missed him dearly, right? It was a long time before we could really see him perform at this level. And I just love the fact that it seems like he hasn't missed a beat. It's been almost two years since he's been feeling 100% and taking NHL pucks. And he jumps in there, gets two shutouts in his first six games, and immediately just is the Pavel Francouz we remember. Not much of an acclimation period at all. So good on him and uh, just fun to watch. And just like you're saying with Bo and Byram, right? You're always cheering for the guys. You want the best for them. So to see Pavel Francouz rebound the way he did just brings warmth to your heart, doesn't it? Fuzzy feelings. It does, yeah. So the crazy thing about Pavel, look, if if Pavel came in and just had average numbers, I would have given him like a you know a third star just to be like, hey, you know, it's great to have him back and playing hockey again and doing what he loves. But... He came back and he played excellently. He's our first star for that reason. So here is my favorite part of his stats. It's the fact that, you know, we kind of just went into this whole goalie conversation. Of the 16 games, Kemper started 11. Frankie only started five. It feels like it was a lot more than that. And the reason why it does is because he had to come in relief twice. So he started five games, but he won seven. The first game, Toronto Maple Leafs. We all saw what happened there. Frankie had to shut the door to make sure that the Avalanche can make that comeback. The second game, we already discussed it as well. Jordan Greenway collides with Kemper. Francouz comes in. In 35 minutes, he faces 27 shots, nearly a shot per game. He only lets in two goals. He gets to the shootout. He stops three in a row, including a flash of a glove save on Kirill Kaprizov to end the shootout. So not only does he come in for the first time in almost two years, 
Not only does he win every single game he starts, but he has to come in in two games in relief against the Minnesota Wild and the Toronto Maple Leafs, against a strong Minnesota Wild team, and against the Toronto Maple Leafs team that's also really good, and you were trailing 4-1 to too. And both games he won those as well. Both games he shut the door. He's got two shutouts. Man, is it good to have Pavel Francouz back. After that rant, you're going to sit here and tell me that he's not knocking on the door to become the starter. Oh, no, he is. I'm just saying in January that there you was another guy. reason. You we're we're going we're, we're, we're to go at this. Look, I will go for another hour about this. <laughs> Patrick's like, shut her down, buddy. Look at this guy. Um, awesome. Well, yeah, that's a great place for us to stop here. I guess uh, three stars always wraps us up nicely. So, Arif, let's get your closing thoughts for this week's long edition of the podcast before uh, we come back later in the week and break down some more stuff. Also, uh, right before you do, I want to mention... Our Instagram account, it's starting to buzz. We're starting to get some momentum with it. And it's also reinvigorating us a little bit. We're inspired to get some more content out there kind of based around the Instagram account. So if you haven't seen that yet, go follow it. Give us some likes. Tell your friends. Tell your moms. Tell your mom's friends and your friends' moms. Arif, closing thought. Well, for starter, you got to plug the Instagram account. It's at Hockey Mountain oh, yeah. High. Good call. Sir JJ. <laughs> Number two. January was fun as hell. Let's do it all again in February. That break is much needed. The All-Star game is going to be a lot of fun. We'll get into that on Thursday. But man, after the COVID pause and how uninterested you and I were. I remember that first practice on December 29th or 30th and we both showed up there and Zooms were back and half the team was on the ice. The other half was on COVID. And we kind of looked at each other like, what the fuck are we doing here? We're back to this bullshit (laughs) hockey's COVID Francis wasn't there. Darren Helm had like it was. Remember that we talked about how Kemper had to go between the two nets at practice and he was gassed and everything like it was such a shit show. There was like no interest in hockey. It just felt like a Mickey Mouse league. And now here we are 15-0-1. Everything seems normal. The NHL just removed testing on asymptomatic players. Man, it feels good. The bar is certainly high. Right. I mean, as good of a month as it was, we don't want to keep the expectations, I guess, unreasonably high moving forward. It was a great month, but anything less isn't necessarily a disappointment. Right. So if anybody tweets me at the end of February because the avalanche goes six, five and one calling for Jared Bednar's head again, (laughs) you're getting the mute, buddy. Like we're done. We're done with the Jared Bednar's head talks. I know I know half the fan base out there in October when they were four, five and one was going at him. But yeah, let's let's put that to rest. That being said, thank you everybody for hanging out with us here. Thanks to all the kind reviews that we're getting on our iTunes and the and the podcasts. I haven't checked Spotify. I don't I don't know how Spotify works. Are there reviews there? Did anybody leave us reviews? I think so. We we, we got to figure it out. I'll, I'll, I'm still looking into that. I keep I keep looking at the Apple ones. I don't know about Spotify yeah. just yet. So that being said, thanks everybody. Uh, if you made it this far in the podcast, bless your pretty little heart. Let's make hockey for everyone, and we ask you.